Hi everyone and welcome to episode 4 of an Inside View podcast. I hope there is some form of normality come back into your life at the moment, whether it's be returning to work or getting to watch some sort of sport, whether it's some of the Premier League, which is, is after returning to our streams this week, or whether it's golf, whatever the case may be. Um, in, in relation to Premier League, it's after returning after having a 100 day absence due to the coronavirus pandemic and um, so hopefully you'll be getting your weekly dose or bi-weekly dose of uh, football over the next couple of weeks as you are well aware already that the season is down concluded on the 26th of July and there are just under 100 league games that will be challenged 40 days of action between now and then following the death of George Floyd in the United States a number of weeks ago which sparked worldwide protests. The, for the first 12 games uh, of the restart campaign, all players will replace the names on the back of their shirts with Black Lives Matters. To me, I do honestly think that is a great idea and hopefully it will lead to change. The message is getting out there, but action needs to be done now. If this is your first time listening to an Inside View podcast, we would really appreciate if you could go back to episode one and have a listen. On our very first podcast, we had Irish Rugby International, Catherine Lane. On episode two, we welcomed Eamon Dunhill of the Irish Times and their sport. And on episode three, we had former Brisbane Lions and Mayo Minor captain, Keen Hanley. Be sure to give it a listen and please do rate, review and tell your friends about an Inside View podcast. It is now time to bring on this week's guest to an Inside View podcast and I'm delighted to welcome Johnny Kennedy who is the co-owner of the Long Hall Pub and Grocery located in New York City. The Long Hall Pub and Grocery is located on 59 East 34th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. Johnny went to New York just before 9-11 and began working the pub scene over there. In 2015 he set up the Long Hall Pub and Grocery with two of his friends and the business has grown from strength to strength ever since. It is known as the GA headquarters in New York and is the first port of call for numerous GA enthusiasts when they make the trip across to the city that never sleeps. Rugby fans and golf enthusiasts seem to feel very much at home there too. Hi Johnny, how things and welcome to an Inside View podcast. Great Jamie, how are you man? This is good. Good, good. Uh, how are you surviving over in the Big Apple? Yeah, doing good actually. Yeah, we um, when did they? Where are we now? Like June. So we're in June. When did it all crash for everybody around the world? Sixteenth of Jet March was for us. So we had the the long haul was open literally on the sixteenth. It's funny. I remember I was walking out on the sixteenth. There was a couple of Irish kids that are in the area and stuff like that, and I arranged them to come around to give them. Uh, some of the Irish goods that we, because we have a grocery for anyone that wouldn't know, we have the grocery section in there. So there's a couple of young lads that be good friends are from Limerick and I loaded up the James and Dylan up with loads of stuff and the sausage rashers and everything. But in, even in your head, you're thinking like, yeah, this stuff is frozen, some of it, you know, maybe we'll get open. I, do, I, do, I don't, I don't recall having a day in my head that I thought that this would last for, you know what I mean? And I really don't. Did I think I'd be still sitting here in June? I don't know. I don't think I did because I had been following. See, for us, or certainly for me, I probably am. My missus likes me about this all the time. My brother, I watch all the news in Ireland. 
I literally would know more than what's going on in Ireland than probably you do. I wake up from, from my misery. I get up in the morning, I listen to Joe Duffy. That's how bad I am. I'll go from Joe Duffy. I'll flick over then to Moncrief would be finishing out or something like that. And then I'd listen to Ivan Yates because he's just a madman. So I'd know. So I'd had a good scope of what was kind of coming down the road for us, I felt. Because Ireland were sort of a couple of weeks ahead of us all the time, I felt. So, yeah, on the 16th, you're walking out. And I was like, and I've heard a few people saying this in the last few days, sports people on different shows in Ireland have heard them saying, you know, there was a party at the start. You were like, oh, happy days. Like, you know what I mean? It's March. Weather's crap. You know, we get a couple of weeks out of this. That wears thin pretty quick. But a while into it, I was still, oh, this is grand. But uh, the other side of it is we were due to open another place on the same day. We were due to open a, a new bar on the, the Westbury on uh, 38th Street on the 16th. Now, that has its ups and plus side that it did and it didn't. So anyway, the plus is we didn't have any staff to let go of, so to speak. But we had a couple of bar staff. And uh, unfortunately, like the likes of them had to go home. Like two of them had only literally moved over. So they had to go home because they had no way of welfare, they had no way of anything. And thankfully they did, both of them, well, one of them especially, he he get out that day. And I'll be honest with you, he was asking me what, what did I think you should do? And I was half wavering towards, you know, stick around. Because, no, there you go, I've answered my own question. I couldn't remember a day. I think I'd said to him, listen, how long can this last for? I probably said six weeks in my head to him, I think. I probably said it in my head and then said to him and that. So I'm so happy that he did go home. But uh, now to be sitting here, and now we're in June, and we'll probably hit on it as well. Then you have riots as well. Like, like we'd riots two weeks ago. Like, we we didn't really border. We bordered up the Long Hall. We didn't border up the Westbury. So, you know, it's no big deal. There's not much to border up. We didn't think, like, glass-wise windows. And even someone called me then on the street, got my number and called me about the homeless that were camping outside the door. And they were sympathetic towards them, but they were like pretty much messing up the street and it was a pretty bad odor coming along the other so. So it was like I could block the door because there was a bit of a step in from the door. But like last, what was that last? So then last Tuesday, last Tuesday we boarded up the whole front of the Westbury. It, I'm sure you've seen pictures of it. It just looks, New York just looks weird. You know, I haven't been down there. Like I say, I, I was fortunate enough. We had rented a place for the summer in the early stages of this. Now the pandemic had come. So we're, we're actually a couple of hours north of there. And there's no problems up here at all. So I didn't see it. But our friends, you know, obviously keeping such a friend and a partner in the bar. And they said the smell of plywood in the city. You can actually smell plywood in the first few days. Because that's all the construction guys were doing was going around cutting plywood. Like that's, I don't know. It's just scary to think. I don't know where it. You know, when you look and think, so they're talking now of opening with 50% occupancy on the 6th of July for bars and restaurants. I don't see where to, for, I, 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 <clears throat> I could give you loads of negatives to that. I don't want it, sorry, because I know a lot of my bar friends are doing it, but like they know my opinion on it. But, and they, listen, they know all this too. It's not that they don't know these things. But you have, the, most of the offices aren't coming back. And the ones that are, are coming between 25% and 50% are coming back. They're going to stagger them. So you can be sure to be none of them in the offices on Friday. Because as I was saying to you before we come on there, Manhattan is dead in the summer by Manhattan standards anyway. There's nothing, the bars don't do well in the summer. The J1 students always come to Manhattan and they come for the summer. And I made that mistake myself way back. 
And I remember people saying to us, why are you coming to New York in the summer? There's no work here. Everyone just wanted to be in New York. You know what I mean? But it's true, there isn't. Because the bars get quiet. People go to their holiday homes. People go up north, in around where I am now. They go out to the island and they go to the Hamptons. They go to Montauk and they go to all these places. So in general, the city is pretty quiet anyway. But again, by New York standards. So now you're going to try open the bars at 50% occupancy on the 6th of July. Whereas the 4th of July being the big holiday weekend, obviously here, I just don't, I, I just don't see where, the, you know, that's where your expenses are going to start. Now, just to give people context, if you listen to this in Ireland, I would say 95%, if not more, 95% of the bar owners in New York do not own the building. So you're only, you're only leasing the building. So it's not as easy as just not opening what I'm saying. So I'm telling people not to open. <laughs> like, but it, you still have a landlord standing there and he's saying to you, right, but now I've done you a favor up to now as regards, you know, freezing your rent. Now it's open and you're telling me you don't want to open. So there's that, that's the other side of the coin as well. So, you know, but then again, the flip side, let's say I opened the long haul. My landlord has been good to me up to now as regards the rent, he's frozen the rent. But if he sees me opening on the 5th of July, he's going to turn the switch back on and say, okay, now I need my rent. So I fifty percent of the occupancy, you know. I've no GAA because we're big, we're big GAA sort of bar. I've no students. You have no Broadway, so you've no tourists in town, and you have offices probably at twenty five percent to fifty percent occupancy. And is he going to look for fifty fifty? Is he going to give me fifty percent off my rent? I don't see that happening. So you could open then just for the sake of being open, Jamie. So I don't, I don't. It's a scary time for the bar business. I think that a lot of bars will open this summer or this year and they would a lot of them and me included who knows a lot of them will be out of business then by January or February that's when it'll be come hard and that's the sad reality you know Jeez, that's uh, that's, that's uh, hard to take that you don't know exactly what's down the line it's the uncertainty yeah. um, and it's the fact that I suppose it, it's a quiet time in New York and it's like you're saying, it has a positives and it has a negatives. So, kind of from a business perspective, you're probably as well off to hold tough if you can. But like you're saying, you know, you've the landlord then could be on your back. Yeah, time. yeah. Um, the other thing is just to give it a bit of context as well. There's a thing here that people in Ireland might be a little shocked by, but there's a thing here called the PPP loan. So, all small businesses qualify for PPP loans. So a PPP loan went by, they would give you four times your, um, whatever your payroll was for the week of February, say. So I'll give you an example. Say, so for the likes of us and stuff like that, you're getting for long haul and places like that. So a lot of bars got basically what I said there, they got four times their, whatever their payroll was in one of the months in, in February. So if you had a big establishment like a TGI Fridays or, a, you know, a Rue Chris's or something like that, the government actually gave a lot of these bars probably up to, say, half a million. So, you know, their payroll going on the basis of that, you know, that's what they gave them. So the deals of a PPP loan is you have to use it for wages straight away. So you bring everybody back. You take them off the welfare. So you put everybody back in the wages. So 60% of the money you got has to go to your wages. Has to go, yeah. So it has to go through the PPP loan, goes towards wages. The other 
is to help pay your utility bills and your rent. But the point of this, the point of this uh, story is, if you use that PPP loan to every, everything that the government guidelines tell you to do, the loan is forgiven. So some of these places got up to half a million, and if they use that loan properly, they don't ever pay it back. Now, you know, people bash America a lot of times, and it's an easy time to bash them right now with Trump and all, but that's an amazing thing that we've all got. Like, I have friends that are in the restaurant industry in Ireland, and they haven't got squat. They haven't been helped out in any shape or form, small businesses, anything, nothing, nothing. So on an American perspective, you've got to hand it to them. That is amazing. Now, there are some things have changed, and they've extended the time to use it. So it was originally starting out that it was eight weeks you had to use it, but that wasn't really working because here we are sitting here now. How many weeks have we all? Like 10, 12 weeks now, whatever, nearly three months. So they've extended it now to 24 weeks you have to use it. So I've, so I've got one for the long haul. I'd start using that when we open, and I have 24 weeks to use it. within Something like that in there. But that, that, that will save us. That loan there, so not to make it all doom and gloom. If you orchestrate that properly, please God, that'll save us. But again, we don't want to get into it, obviously. But if a second wave comes, I don't know. <laughs> After that, just be grateful we're all alive, I guess, at that point. All bets are off then. <laughs> oh, totally. 100%. 100% all bets are off. You're right. So That's, uh, geez, that's definitely a, a great um, package there by the government. And that's probably something that the Irish government could look into. We'll delve into the long haul. Um, so. You, you set it up in 2015 with your business partner, but up to that stage, what were you doing? I've been in New York. I, I've, been, uh, I've been here for all the disasters. I got to New York only a couple of months before 9-11, actually. I lived in Australia for a couple of years, and I always kind of had it in my head to probably come back to New York because I'd been here when I was younger and I had friends from, you know, from back home that were all living here. And I always felt I didn't really want to go home, and New York is always kind of the, the last, the next step from Ireland. Like, you know, even though when I was a kid now, like, it was a world away, like, you know, before social media, before everything. It was like going to America, like, for people, it was just like, wow, you were never coming back. Like, you know what I mean? It was amazing. So, so yeah, I came here in 2001, and uh, like everybody, just get into bartending. You either went into bartending or construction back then, because, you know, chances are you didn't have your papers. So you got into one or the other, and I get into bartending. And the great thing about America is, and I believe that's why they say, you know, the American dream, it really does exist, like, if you come to New York and you work hard, you know, you're surrounded by other people, like, you know, our mutual friends, like Jeff, Jeff O'Connor and them. Well, I have this conversation with Jeff a lot. Like, in his industry and his, your generation, like, they're all, <clears throat> they're all there together and they're all coming over. They're very educated. They're coming straight over and they're going straight into really good jobs of what they went through college for. But, like, when you sit in a company in, in New York or in America in general and you're like, you know, I'm going to start my own construction company or I'm going to open my own bar. The guy beside you wants to do the same thing, so he's encouraging you. Again, I'm not knocking Ireland in that sense, but you know what I mean. You're surrounded here by everyone that's sort of positivity. And the reality is also, <clears throat> it's doable. You know what I mean? I bartended for, what was I? Um, that was, I was 13, 14 years here. And then I opened a, a, the long haul with two other lads. <clears throat> Me and one of the other guys was in as a bartender, and the other guy was in construction. But like that's 
again, it's not a comparison or to, you know, to knock it. That's not doable in, in Ireland. It's not doable at home for me to be able to do something like that. So you just work and you work here. But the point I wanted to make was, I didn't sacrifice a whole lot to do that. I worked very hard, yeah. But I lived a great life too. Like, you know what I mean? I partied a bit too hard as well. Like, you know what I mean? But it, my whole thing is because a couple of younger lads have asked me recently, like, ah, how did you do this? And they're like, my one advice to anybody would be when they're living here, <clears throat> don't overpay for rent. Because I don't get that personally. It's a bed. It's somewhere to live. Yes, live somewhere nice. Live somewhere safe. But don't be going outrageous. Like, don't go living in the West Village just for the sake of living. In. Yeah, do it for six months maybe to realize, whoa, this is like, because I've met a couple of Irish lads that have told me they've done it. And they learned themselves. But if you don't overextend yourself in that, and the thing here is, especially in the bartending business, it comes in seasons. Like I said to you there, the June, or June, July, and August are not great. July and August especially. Well, then, you know what? That's when you take your, your holidays. That's when you take your vacation time. But when September comes around, between September and March, you're bartending. You're going to work your ass off. So be available for every shift and get your head down. And the other thing around that is too, and now whether this is a good or a bad thing, everyone's doing it. So you don't notice it. Whereas I always felt at home, like, you know what I mean? Or maybe it was a younger thing too, that some lad would be doing something else and you'd be doing something else. And if you were working in retail or something, you're working over Christmas or something, the other lad would be laughing at you for heading into work. Oh, I can't believe you're working over Christmas. Like I've seen that in Australia a lot with lads. But lads are backpacking around, they don't give a shit. Whereas in New York, like, come Christmas time, and you always hear people say at home, I'm sure you do, like we hear lads saying, Ash, it's not like home. Like Christmas is nothing like a home. It's true, it's not. But at the same time, I think that's a good thing in a way because, you know, especially when you're illegal, you couldn't go home for Christmas. So the last thing you probably wanted was something that was similar to home. Now, neither of them might agree with me, but I always felt I didn't want it to be like at home because then that would even remind me more that I can't go home. You know what I mean? So I didn't mind. Like, I was back from work on St. Stephen's Day. You know what I mean? Now, I remember the first year that I was thinking, oh, that's going to be shit. You know, I didn't. It wasn't St. Stephen's Day. It was Tuesday. It wasn't the same. Like, I wasn't down in the pub watching the races with the lads. So it didn't make any difference to me. Like, best night out in Ireland is probably Arthur Stephen's night. It's brilliant. Like. But I wasn't thinking that way. And I was fortunate enough when I'm here and I'm old enough to think there was no social media. I wasn't looking at the lads running around the local and stuff like that. So, yeah, that was me. Bartended, worked my ass off and been here. But the progression is, and it's similar like for Jeff and the lads in construction, the progression is here if you're a bartender. The goal is to get your own bar. No matter what, everyone says, oh, you ever think you get in your own place? And then you start thinking about that. And one of my best, best mates or one of my longest mates in America owns the Mean Fiddler and he owns a lot of them bars. And he and I all live together. We all live in the same building. And he, his sister and I were roommates and all. And I remember when he got that bar, when he got the Mean Fiddler, I remember him and his brother Pat got it, Michael and Pat McNamee. I remember the lads getting that bar. And I was like, Jesus, if he can do it, I can do it. Because, you know, he and I hung out together all the time. We live in the same building. We both work part in the midtown. And that was a realisation. Like, you know what I mean? And then the lads got their second bar and stuff like that. And that's, that's what's great. Now, it was all great up to the 16th of March. It was a great idea to have a bar up to the 16th of March. <laughs> but now I should have stayed in school and became something else. <laughs> Uh, every industry is, is, is affected now at the moment. But I suppose on that point, what you said there is it's, um, you know, when you're over in New York, it's, you're all in the same boat and it's the circle of friends. You're all, and everyone's positive. Mm. The positivity just bounces off each other and you drive each other. Well, the big, the big thing is, and this is not a slide against anything, like, you know, from where you're from, or the area where you are from, 
you inherit your friends. I inherited my friends growing up. You inherit them through where you live. When you leave home, you choose your friends. And that's no disrespect, but it is true. Like, like you can count, like you're up in Dublin now, and I'm sure that your network of friends is getting a little bit, your network of friends that you grew up with is probably getting smaller and smaller as you get older and older. And it'll get to a point where it really will be three of them. Three is not a bad number because then there's four years you can fit in a cab, you can play golf together. Four, four is good. Whereas if you're in New York or Australia, Sydney, wherever, Melbourne, if there's a guy in the group and he's a bit of a dick in the bar that night, that's fine. But you won't be in his company the next night. You just won't. And he might think the same as me and you, so he won't be in our company. Whereas if you're down the railway bar and camp there, you can't avoid him the next day. He's coming with the bar. You and him have to hang out in that bar. So he's end up for years just being that. <laughs> the next thing you're on trips from going to United and Liverpool games. Jesus Christ. Like, but you're friends with the other guy who's the middleman who's putting up with the two of you. You know what I mean? And it's, <laughs> the, it's true. Like, you know, they're the type of lads you only want. You, you've only enough tolerance in your body to see them at Christmas time when you come home. Yeah, you know, there he is. And again, he probably thinks the same of me and you, so it's okay. But that's the great thing about being away from home because you do rely on your friends more as well. You know what I mean? Like I never had Christmas dinner outside of my parents' house till I left home. And I never thought about it till I left home. And I remember being in Australia, my first Christmas dinner at someone else's house. And I was like, geez, you're not in your mother's house. Now you mightn't even like your family, but you still have to have Christmas with dinner with them. You know what I mean? It just is what it is. So you end up relying, and then you start looking at the other people in that room at that Christmas dinner and you're thinking, it's a pretty big deal. Like I'm having Christmas with these people. It ends up, I think that's, that might necessarily be the case with your generation now or lads, but I think that's very much more so when you're undocumented in the country because your hand is forced, you know, you have to be. But it's funny, like, because I'm, I'm an American citizen now and I don't, um, I still don't have any major desire to go home for Christmas. Now, I don't know what that is. Like, it's where it could be the industry that I'm in. My brother lives here with me, so maybe that's what it is a little bit. But I keep saying, oh, we're going for Christmas. And people say to me all the time, do you have any interest in going home for Christmas? I'm like, no. Give me the long evenings in Ireland in the middle of summer where you can go to like the Gaelic grounds or Crow Park, play golf all week, and then go to a game at the weekend. The long evenings, you know, give me that all day. Going home for Christmas, no, it's not for me, but. I'll probably be home this Christmas because I won't have anything else to do but a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> Moving further on to the long haul, uh, you set up in 2015, like you, like you said. Um, why did you set it up? Is it because, was it something that you always aspired to once you handed over there? Yeah, yeah I, think it, I think it's kind of like, again, it's a bit of a progression in everything you do here. I'm not saying that other people that don't do it, but generally speaking, no matter what industry you're in here, you have to make a go at some point, whether if you're a bartender, you have to try, you don't have to, but a lot of people try to get the wrong place. And if you're in construction in any shape or form, you generally try to get your own construction company or get involved in some way. Now, again, that's, I'm not saying everybody, but at some stage I can nearly guarantee that everyone has thought about it or has been offered to do it. You know, if you're a bartender, because you think about it, if you're a bartender in New York, and this is a prime time to talk about this, you were a bartender in New York over the years and you lost your job. That was it. You lost your job. Like there was no, there was no backup plan. As in, you know, it wasn't like you had something to fall back on. So a lot of lads, what they'll do is in the bartender here, they'll get into one of the high-end steakhouses or into a hotel or something like that. So I'm sure you've heard it over the years, whether it be movies or people, insurance is a massive thing here. 
So for lads to have health insurance. So if you're a married guy and you're a bar, bartender and you have young kids, the key is for you to get into one of them to get into one of them jobs. So that's that's the other avenue. And for for me, like you know, what I mean, I was single at the time, like no kids or anything. So it was always going to be a plan to get into the bar business. So I'd never had any plan of you know doing any otherwise. But like when I said, my my missus now was she'd be supportive with me of doing it as well. Like she's in the same game. She manages the place too. So we were we were adamant that that's what we wanted to do. So yeah, just went from there. And it's a very tough thing to do, but I wouldn't change it. Even in this current pandemic, I wouldn't change it. You know, so that that was the plan. And what what just out of interest, why did you include the grocery store element too? Was it just at that other dimension? Is it? Yeah. Um, I did try and word this properly without coming off and saying something bad about other places. But I, I always felt that America's version of an Irish bar was not remotely to anything that you and I would class as an Irish bar. But I wasn't, I wasn't having to go with the Irish people, or, or me included. Like, I've worked in a lot of them Irish bars. And a lot of these bar owners, they weren't necessarily trying to sell it as an Irish bar. So they didn't, like, you know, make an hands and say, well, like, oh, this is what an Irish bar looks like in Ireland. But the American guy from West, I always used to say, I had a vision of this American couple from Wisconsin being in New York and going into one of these Irish bars and then them thinking, Jesus, Irish bars are amazing, aren't they? Because they, I'd be behind the counter and the waitress would be from, to, you know, bartender. I mean, we're all from Ireland and they, that would be their illusion of an Irish bar. I used to say to myself, they're in for some shock when they land in Ireland and actually go into an Irish bar and see what exactly what it's like. So I always felt that I had, if I was ever going to do it, I would have to go gun hold the other way and really go. But I love, love that old look anyway, even regardless of the, whether the grocery's there or not, but that old wood look and that old worn up. But I knew in my heart and soul that you were targeting everybody there because you're a young Irish guy coming over from Ireland. And even you look at it and think, Jesus, that's great Like to see that in America. And then the Irish-American, He's bringing in his Italian mate and saying, this is how my people do it. Like, you know what I mean? This is how they do it in the old country. You know, because they, it's back to something you and I were talking about earlier on there, but it's like, it's an identity. It's the identity. They, they, you hear Des Bishop talking about a lot having grown up in Queens in New York. And he says, like, when St. Patrick's Day came around, that was his week. Like, that was his week to go into the Italian fella and go, you know what? Stick your Columbus Day, man. I'm here. This is my big day. And and that's kind of what we were targeting was we knew that that grocery covered all angles. It did. Now, there were some funny scenes, like, you know what I mean? When, so I remember a woman walking in literally with a shopping trolley, like, and all the lads were sitting at the top part at the grocery section. And she came in and she was like, pissed off because I'd no Flavin's oatmeal and she's looking up and she goes do you not get any Flavin's back in and I'm just kind of looking at her going you know the grocery part is secondary I felt like saying <laughs> you know the is just like and then people say to me do you sell all that stuff and we do like you know we sell a lot of it like but at the same time there is an element of it that's there for sure I genuinely got the Flavin's because I seen the colour of the bag and you have that red cream and green and when they were lined up together in behind the groceries, you, you couldn't paint that. So one of my mates bought one of them once, and I was like, you're having a laugh. I was like, oh, I thought we'd be doing the right thing by buying it. I said, buy two pints, buy a couple of bags of tape or kios. I'll be buying the flavins. But anyway, that, and, and, and again, I've, I've, I've had people Google it, and they find out it's a grocery, and they arrive then thinking that they're coming in to buy a lot of stuff, and then they realize it's the bar. 
generally they stay anyway. So yeah, no, it was it, to me it was a nod to the real rural Ireland, old kind of like you know Irish. We built the bar basically from a book called the Irish the Irish pub book, like old Irish pubs, I think it's called. And if you go into that, like that actual the color behind the bar and stuff like that, a lot of it is taken from a pub in Mayo. And then Mary's in Dublin, a little bit of a you'll see similarities that are where I see in the back of Mary's in Dublin there, where they have the grocery at the back and the warm wood. So we did a lot of that look from it as well, you know. So that was the plan. And Dick Max is obviously you kind of see that sort of same thing in it as well. So it's all them things. That's what the pubs were, right? Grocery pubs and a pub. So that was there. That was there. Nod to it. Yeah. Uh, just to, to follow on from that point there, I suppose we, when, I, when I was over in New York a couple of years ago, obviously I met our mutual friend, Jeff, Jeffrey O'Connor, and I met him in, in your place, and I was, mm. I, was, I was blown away by that, by the groceries, and the first thing that came into my head was like, this is like Dick Max, this is like Foxy John's, um, and then I yeah. started looking around and saw the photos of Little Jim's lovely pubs around Ireland. And one thing yeah. I noticed, there was a number of pubs from Kerry. You have a soft spot for Kerry. Yeah, well, to be honest, yeah. But it's 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 funny. I didn't I didn't take a lot of them pictures, and I didn't even put them up. My partner's from uh, one of my partners was from uh, Monaghan, and he actually so go back to fourteen, I think it was. And I brought we went and did a ring at Kerry. We went down to my friends in Waterville. And we stayed there for a few days playing golf, and then we did it all the way around over the pass and back into Killarney. And uh, he loved it that much that he went back a year later with his family, and he got a house in Dingle. And he stayed in Dingle for the for the period of time with his family, his family, her family. But he stayed for two weeks, so he came back with all them pictures on his phone. Like all them pictures were literally taken from his phone. Oh. So, but there was a man, I, and I don't know who the guy was now. But I was saying this to someone in New York. I've said this story to a few people in New York, and they knew straight away who it was. But for people who don't know where the Long Hall is, it's on 34th Street between Park and Madison, which is a two-way street, which basically means that's where the fire department, that's where the NYPD comes. It's basically like a joke car trip. You do not park on them streets because they're so busy. But some guy from Kerry pulls up and he comes up and he parked his big truck up on the footpath. He comes into the bar. He's blonde hair, kind of fair hair, big, big man. Comes in and he's like, what's the Kerry connection with this bar? But I would never say there is no Kerry connection. Because the majority of my friends at home, outside of like what I grew up with, would be from Kerry. Like that's why I spent so much time there. And also, I was like, well, I didn't want to say there's nobody from Kerry connected to it. Like straight up. Hence the reason why we say Jeff is a partner. You know, and Jeff tells everybody <laughs> that it's him. But uh, and straight away he he spotted the South Pole and he goes, that's my local. And he was delighted with it. But you know what? It, it happened. It happened accidentally in some ways. But I would recommend it to anyone. It's, it's it, as in. If there's two trees in a bar and you're from such and such a county, pick another county and go with that. Like, because it, it doesn't. There's no like, you know, oh, they just went with his team or they went. Because like, there's Dublin stuff in there, there's Sligo stuff, and there's Monaghan. Like, that's where the three of us are from. I'm Dublin, Colin Sligo, and Jerry's Monaghan. But there's definitely more of a Kerry thing in the bar. Like the bartender said it to. I don't know if you know Owen Moriarty owns the Sea View in Waterville, and Owen would have been in there a lot, and he said it to Owen. Um, Owen says, Jesus, more carry this bar is getting. And the bartender, Chris from Wexford, and he says, I'm just waiting to come up someday and see the bar, the door painted green and gold. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> just, but, it, but I suppose another way, and not to be morbid about it, down above, Kerry probably is one of, the, one of the places of Ireland that was most hit by immigration. 
over the last 40 years and will continue to be, like you work in Dublin. So if you could think from that perspective, if you were going to open a bar and call it the Kerryman, like similar to one in Chicago, it would be one of the better ones to pick, but, you know, I know mayo is mayo in places like that are similar, you know, but well, who'd want a bar full of mayo people anyway? So it wouldn't be, <laughs> wouldn't be calling that out. My grandmother from Mayo. I shouldn't be saying that. <laughs> to to just to continue on that point with Mayo. Um, I was over in New York last year for the New York and Mayo game, and what I was blown away with was the identity of the Mayo people around. I know Mayo is very proud county, anyway. But just just going with that. Um, how important is the GA in New York for the Irish community? Oh, it- it's uh, like I never realized as much till uh, till I got the bar. I knew I never realized before like that, but I realized it really when I got the bar, and we we kind of really went for the GAA thing with the bar. We went, we 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 felt that the GAA was kind of now a lot of bars had had it over the years, and it's no disrespect again to any bar, but we felt there was a good market there for us to go after and call ourselves like the GAA headquarters and to, to really just target that type of thing. And again, like I think it's the. GA has changed so much, hasn't it? Like in 10 years, like it's became, you know, sexy. It's became like kids, girls, you know, the jerseys and all. So I really thought that there was this type of market there for it. But then I started realizing much more myself. It's the GA in probably in every major city, but in New York, it's like, it's their whole identity. It's your, again, it's the, the back to the Des Bishop. It's the, that's your, that's your sport. That's your identity. But that's your county. That's your town. That's your club. Like if you look back as far as Larry Tompkins, who plays like for Cork, but from till there, like he doesn't end up in Cork. He doesn't become the Larry Tompkins we all know without New York. It's just not happening. He would have stayed in Eastown, never played for Kildare, probably fell out with him much like his brother did, but ends up in New York. And his love of Gaelic Park and just the whole thing, like they thousands of people up there back then. Thousands of people every Sunday. Because again, you're going back, no social media, no meeting points. And again, the other thing about this, Jamie, and it's before Bolivar times, but certainly before your time anyway, a little bit of mine, a lot of these people were forced to come here. They didn't think like you and I and say, let's go live in New York. Like I see kids now moving to Bushwick, like I'm five of them in a two bedroom, just so they can say on Instagram that they live in Bushwick. You know what I mean? I said to one girl who was working, just go down and take a couple of pictures. And I said, no, they care. Well, like this, getting back to like, don't overpay for rent. But it's great that they're like that. It's great that because they're, they're educated. They're only going to do it for two years and they're going to move home or they're going to move to London. They're going to move back and they're going to do it. Back then, if you didn't go to Gaelic Park on a Sunday, you'd have a full two-week period without being on your social media. That was their social media then. You went up, you got a newspaper on a Monday. The newspapers come into two or three bars, in, a bar in Queens and a bar at the bars in the Bronx. So the identity of GAA arguably kept people alive they had no other thing that was their identity in america and to still see it to this day like you know lads coming over to play for new york like jamie clark over the years different players in different counties like when johnny's there playing in the hurling and the football with them and johnny was training them this year johnny glenn like these are lads that county players at home that could easily be but their love for america was why they wanted to stay and the quality of life and stuff like that but to still have the GEA on their back door and to have that, you know, I'd, I'd argue it is. Like, this I'm a prime example. I used to slag off GEA. I'd be having a crack about it, calling it football. 
I'd be like, now we're running a bar and it's called Lingia Headquarters. You know what I mean? <laughs> I haven't missed an All-Ireland Final since 2012. Like, I mean, I was at the Munster Hurling Final last year, but I love it. I really do. Like, I'm the classic American Yankee, like the plastic paddy now. I'm nearly the plastic paddy now. I'm the American citizenship. The only thing is, I'm not falling asleep in Grove Park on one of them benches or something like that. I'm not interested in watching the game. But I, 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 to answer you realistically, that's it. It's their identity, isn't it? They're in America for Mayo fans and stuff. Like, to see what Mayo fans did there last year, like into Times Square, like, that is phenomenal. Like, great credit to them. Like, the police thought there was going to be a riot. I shouldn't. I know it's funny if we're joking about riots now, but the police, I heard David Brady, I think, on the, off the ball, and someone had told him that they were notified that the police thought there was actually going to be a riot in Times Square, and they had a lot of riot police <laughs> turn up for all these poor Mayo fans who just wanted to get in and sing Mayo, Mayo, Mayo. That's correct. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. I love it. I think it's great. And um, you, you, you touched on the point that you, you wanted to delve into the GA, you set up club and you decided to target the G as your main um, yeah was that because you put a lot of research into it or did that just kind of happen secondary and then you decided to go with it um, I tell you I, I, I started going I, I, I got my citizenship back I started going home a good bit around the All-Ireland weekends that time I told you where we did the road trip well before we had the bar and I, 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 I probably accidental research started looking at it there was a lot of people started like GA Go was a big thing. You know, everyone has GA Go over here and they'd have it on the phone. But it was nearly getting to the point then that everyone was sitting at home watching the games. But then less and less bars had it. And the reason bars don't have it is because there's company, there is a company who still have the rights for the GA here. So, and it's not easy to get it. So in bars defense, it's not like you can just get it easily. Like I just had to know somebody type of thing to get it. But I just felt, again, back to your generation, there were so many of them coming here and they're all living here and they're all in pockets. Meeting up on a Sunday morning to watch a game for them was there. It becomes, again, that's nearly like the Gaelic Park again of the 80s. They know if they come to the long haul and whatever other bars have it, they know they'll meet the lads there to watch the game. And I always say this for us, being Irish, as Irish people, New York is the best place in the world to live for the time zone for sports. Like, Okay, you can go out on the Saturday night and be on the rip. But if Sunday morning you could get up and go watch a game at nine o'clock, you get a game at eleven o'clock. If you like the Premier League, that's what you know, and so on and so on. They obsess with sport here on a Sunday. But for us in the Irish community, we get that early market. You know, we get that GEA on a Sunday morning, and it's great. But again, it's a meeting point. But again, we we went to a lot of small detail and a lot of stuff as regards the Irishness. Like, we overpay for our bacon. We overpay for our sausages. I could get American bacon. I could get Canadian bacon if I wanted to be cheaper on it. But they're the little things, aren't they? When you just do that little thing different, you have the different bacon, charge the extra or whatever, you know. Have Irish beans. So the little things, you know. Purple snack. We have a thing in our menu. We have a little GAA menu. The Joe Brawley on it is a purple snack. Very <laughs> steel, like. You put that up in Ireland, like someone would smack it off your head, like. But when you're in 34th Street off Park Avenue and you're able to get like a purple snack and a cup of tea, Jesus Christ, probably better than a large bottle of Magners at the best of times. And <laughs> <laughs> um, that's actually very interesting how you how it how it happened that you you target the G and it, it's definitely going the right direction for you know aside from this pandemic. Mm. But, I think it'll work out well for us. Sorry, when we reopen because. Going on now, you might be able to tell me better. Going on what their plan is for the GEA, 
if it goes to an automatic knockout in, say, October, September, October, for the likes of us at the long haul, you know, you're going to have knockout games on probably two on a Saturday, two on a Sunday. So it's very likely that that you'll have. Imagine me trying to tell a lot of lads that are coming in to watch a game from Tyrone or maybe Dublin or something like that. Social distancing lads to watch the game. No, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Know, uh, I don't want the Tyrone lads putting masks on to watch a game. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm trying to get them masks. Trying to get them masks off them for years. I don't start putting them back on. Like. <laughs> um, do you? I suppose we'll touch on one more, one or two more things on the GA, and then we'll go back into the business. But. I know New York as a county or as a city, whatever you want to determine it as, um, it only plays one game a year because they have been losing, so they're straight knockout. Do you think that the GA as a community are, you know, from the hierarchy, are missing something there, missing an opportunity there? Because the GA in New York, there's a massive market there that could be exploited a bit more. One hundred percent. Like the, uh, I would say in the eighties and nineties, they pawned them off with the fact that like the undocumented couldn't fly home and play like in, in a backdoor game. Like, come on, that day is gone. Like, I know Norwegian Airlines is gone now, but like the flights are still, it's they're reasonable. It's not again back to what I was saying earlier. It's not like you're flying to the other side of the world anymore. So to give New York a backdoor game would just they are totally missing a trick. It would be amazing. Can you imagine the following that that would have? Like from the likes of all of us, like we go up there and I went up. I was I was at, I was actually in Kerry last year when you were here for the Mayo game in the Pistons of Rain. Like I was playing golf, and uh, but the previous year when they did a great chance, a great chance of beating Leitrim, like it was packed up there, absolutely packed. Now you telling me that if that whole team and everyone around that area travelled back to play, I'd say they were playing. Westmead and Mullingar, like the, the revenue and the buzz that would just come with this team coming in over. Like, not to mention the extended family of each player that's probably on the team. Because, you know, a good majority of the lads are from Ireland. And then the homegrown guys, it, like the, the homegrown lads that are on that team and that New York team, you and I know their parents are Irish. So their buzz for their parents to go back and watch their son play potentially. In Ireland, in it, and I, I just think it's a major trick they're missing. They really, and I, I think they know now. Like I, I know that Johnny and the lads this year they pushed for it, and they were they, they definitely pushed it through the Congress. Now I don't know if it got mentioned in, and I got mentioned, and everything's obviously got so caught up now. But I know the lads did want it anyway. Now I don't, I don't, hundred percent believe that the New York board wanted it. They might have said they did, but I don't think they did. I will. They certainly haven't showed any appetite for it up to now. Um, you know, on all accounts, they did push for it this year for the guys. I hope they did. And I do think it will happen. I think now the proof is that I think it will happen. You know, like the London, London get a backdoor game. Why don't New York get one? Yeah. Like it's not geography anymore. You know, they like I said, they pawned it off for years with the the immigration thing. But New York probably never wanted it. You know, they never pushed for it either at the time. So. Like, again, if you go back and you listen, like Larry Tompkins, that team that they had in New York went back and played in um, played in Ireland in the 80s. And um, they beat, they were playing for Donegal, actually. They were Donegal, the New York Donegal team. They played four matches back in Ireland. And they won three and drew one. And the one they drew was against Donegal, actually the Donegal team. Oh. And they, um, 
that was the one that they didn't think they would. That was the one they thought would be easy. So the lads took their eye off the ball and they drew that game. I can't remember offhand, but I know, I think Ross Common was one of them. And it was Ross Common in the 80s. I think that Ross Common team got to an All-Ireland final against Kerry, like in 81 or something like that. And they beat that team. So the talent has been here. But as I said to Larry Tompkins, actually, we have a podcast with Larry Tompkins. Still haven't released it, but anyway. But Larry Tompkins said himself, like, he's one that was found through New York. How many others is there? Like, how many other lads has there been over the years from the so-called lesser counties? So get that team home. Like, imagine, like I say, for the Irish-American kid who's been training up in the Bronx for years and playing, for him to go back and play would be just, I would love to say. And I hope it does happen. I think you're right. I think it will. I think it will happen, but I do think it will. Unfortunately, this year now it's set back. New York potentially now won't get a championship game, which is sad. Like, you know, that's sort of a step back. Why shouldn't they? But I'm... I think everyone can understand why they probably won't. But like that's. But will London? Are London going to play in it? Yeah, I don't I'm not, know. Not too sure there. Yeah, it's, that'd be interesting. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's definitely interesting. Hopefully they they will get into it because there's massive opportunity there. Um, mm. what's the feeling around New York at the moment? Is there going to be a club championship there? Like or within the clubs here, I would say there will be, but it's it's. Actually, I don't know now, actually, the more I think about it, because they're not allowing these type of gatherings. They're not, like, to, get, to, to coincide a little bit with the business thing. Have you seen some of the scenes that are going on at the moment? Like, New York in general, now, like, we're complimenting Ireland the way they've done it. I, I, overall, New Yorkers have been brilliant. Like, they really, really have. But like everybody, has, did it happen at the ideal time? or did it No, it didn't, because it was March. Now, you've got three months out of us. how do you? How do you keep any people in in the good weather? Like, listen, I'm sitting here in a rental. I'm after moving up north, so I'm an example of it too. Get out of the city and go somewhere different. That has been a major problem for New York. So as regards to the lads playing any championship games, I can't really see it. I just don't see how they would do it. But again, a lot of, like the hurling especially, I know a few of the lads who have opened that one in the last couple of years, they don't have many games in the height of the season. Like Most of their games sort of run at the end of the summer. So hopefully come August, September, it might be a little bit easier for them. So maybe. Football-wise, I don't know. I couldn't see. There, there's definitely a lot more games in the football. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like Monaghan, Donegal, and Kerry would be the three kind of big... Well, well Sligo won it last year, actually, with, uh, with the lads, with Johnny and, and, and Brian and that. So I don't know. I couldn't imagine it. Because also what's a big loss is the, the, the students. A couple of the day runners over the years would have played, like, you know what I mean? It would have been a good opportunity for them. That's something I think you know, we could probably don't want to waste too much time on it, but then that's something that you could hear. The whole Jay Warner generation, they're the ones I really feel sorry for because that's that one year in your life that ends up, it, it ends up mapping out your life for some people. That one year in New York, that three months in New York, in like anywhere in America, then you, you see that they all come back on a visa. Some of them end up living here. And you'll ask them, what, what brought you to America? Well, I came on the J1. Like, where do they miss out now? You feel really sorry for them. I know it doesn't seem like a big deal, but I feel really sorry for them. I believe they're down wrecking Cork, I've heard. I've heard some Cork. I heard someone giving out about it the other day and my Jojo feed misery the other morning. I heard someone <laughs> out about it. Um, on, on that, on something you, you, you touched on there, um, we we spoke about the J. It is what it is, and look, hopefully it will return in the next couple of months. But currently in New York, that's what it's like. 
we've seen images writing um protesting and it's it's fairly fairly frightening to to watch yeah again as i said earlier on i watch too much too much news i noticed like irish news i noticed in the early stages i'd watch the 6-1 news and i would inevitably get a text message or two from people i might not have heard from in a long time which was really nice which i'm sure we've all done that you know what i mean everyone has got in touch with people we hadn't heard from a long time i don't know maybe it's just me the, the, the news just seemed and they weren't portraying it badly they were portraying it as it was but it just looked so much worse because we keep saying lockdown you guys had a lockdown we didn't really have a lockdown we were told to you know to self-isolate but they didn't enforce it you could have been out walking around and doing but people did the right thing i think what it is is and even though you hear the figures sometimes you know but it's hard for people at home to understand like when you hear the numbers of people dying in new york like there's more people in queens than there is in the whole of ireland like and the whole island it's very similar anyway like there's, there's, I think there's over 4 million, I think there's about 4 million people in Queens. So when you do the maths on that 4 million Queens, I think there's a little less in Brooklyn. I think Manhattan is a couple of million as well. And then New Jersey and the outer skirts and all this in Connecticut. Like you could drive for an hour like within an area and you're, you're covering an area where there's like 15, 20 million people live very easily. So when you start hearing these numbers, the big thing about it was, was Queens got it so bad in around the Allenhurst, that was one of the like the hotbeds of it. It's a big immigrant neighborhood. It's a big like you know Hispanic neighborhood, and generally in a lot of these a lot of these um, families, they live in small pockets together. Like you could have three generations in one of them houses, and there's nothing you can do about that. Like you're telling that people to quarantine. Meanwhile, the youngest in the family could be working in a restaurant in the city with me. And he's heading back out and his grandmother's in the house. Like It's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. And a lot of these people are illegal. So they weren't getting social welfare. So they had no choice but to go out and look for work. Like, I'll give you, the, I'll give you the figures. Like, on the social welfare in, in America at the moment, you're taking home nearly, you're taking home over $1,000 a week. Like, it's serious money. <laughs> when you think about it. Now, the thing about it here is, you're expected to pay your rent and pay your bills. So the $1,000, you know, you could make the argument that you do need it. Now, there's a very good argument to that, actually, a neighbor for, you know, John Kerr, right? John, Johnny. So Johnny made a great point to me, and I, I made, Johnny's wife works for one of the major airlines, and she makes, like, less than that, say. And his point was, she's now getting nearly $1,100 a week on the dole they're putting 1100 into her bank account every week and much like a lot of us we're all on less than that 1100 but to johnny's point was the american government believes that my wife needs that to survive but the company she works for doesn't believe it <laughs> she works for this company and they pay her a lot less than that and like a lot of us we get a lot like people make a lot less than that so you put that and said, that's fine then, Drew, if you're, if you're an American citizen, a green card holder and everything, this hotbed area of Elmhurst and around Jackson Heights and all this, their money just stopped and they had no income. And now here they are. So then the younger guy goes out to work, he's bringing it back to the house. So they were one of the biggest, that area was one of the biggest death holes of it. And the, some of the numbers are a bit scary. To look, like It was like, 
an African-American or an Hispanic person was way more likelier to die of the COVID-19 than a, than a white person. Well, like, you know, at the moment we're talking about like, you know, a lot of racism in the world, but the, the numbers are true. Like it was something like three, like something like a three to one chance, like an African-American, like way more African-Americans and Hispanics died in New York than white people. You know, so it's just, what is the reason for that? I'm probably up to giving you two of them anyway. That's, they, they live, because they can't afford, they, you know, they can't afford to live in apartments in New York, even though it's Jackson Heights and all. Jackson Heights is like five stops from me in the train. And just to give perspective for people, five stops on a local train is literally three or four minutes each stop. So they ain't that far apart from me where I live. You know, and so a lot, a lot of these areas like got hit really bad. And I think that's why it's taken a lot for it to get back up again. And the fear factor is there as well for people. You know, one of the main reasons I won't open the bar is because I don't want somebody coming in and taking a photograph of 10, 15 lads standing in the bar together, how that pitcher perceives it. Meanwhile, that 10, 15 lads might not be standing together and equally four or five of them might work and live pretty much in close proximity to each other the whole time. And equally, just it's very easy to get tested in, the new, in America, in New York. Anyway, it's great. You can get tested and you can have the results the next day. A lot of my friends, and my brother included now, they have the, uh, they, the antivirus, but so they've had it and it's gone. You know, so they feel more secure going in. How does that work like? You know what I mean? I don't know that he doesn't have it. So is it going to corner? Oh, I had it. No. I think there's a lot of drama going to come down the road with this whole thing. And I hope that hopefully we're not in the middle of it as a, as a bar perspective anyway. And on that point, um, we'll wrap it up now in a few minutes, but on that point, do you think you will open up in the next couple of months? And if so, what are the protocols in put in place? My, my honest hope is, and I'm selfishly probably doing this, I hope that a lot of the other bars open before us. I hope that they open, let's just say August. And uh, I hope that they're open a good three or four weeks before I open. And then I would plan on opening after Labor weekend. Putting the COVID-19, putting the virus aside, as I said earlier, New York City is dead anyway. You literally, we all missed out on St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day is money. And not even St. Patrick's Day is a day, but the week of St. Patrick's for us and every bar. You know, you have rugby, you have like Ireland, France, you have all that running all the way through. You get a whole week of that. The amount of people coming from Ireland for St. Patrick's Day is amazing. And it's great. You make so much money in that week, not in that sense, but you need that money. That money potentially gets you through the summer. You know, it's like that season mentality. So we've lost that. So about the loan that I was talking about earlier, if I activated that loan on the 6th of July and I open on the 6th of July, I won't make it. Not won't make any money. I won't be able to make bills or rent for July and August on general business. I'm talking about on a regular summer, most bars would struggle because the rents are so high in Manhattan. So for me, I, I hope to stay closed. This, now, I'm probably wishful thinking on a lot of this because the landlord could equally say, hang on, but I'm hoping to come to a deal with him. I'm not refusing to pay him his money, but I have another 10 years lease left in the long haul. I'll get him his money over the 10 years. Like he can add it on whenever. But if I open, I know this for a fact, Jimmy, if I open in July, I will start losing money straight away through July and August. So I'm in a minus there already. I'd rather just be in a minus to him for rent. I don't need to be in a minus for the electricity, for food, for staff. And also, 
the whole thing I said to you at the 1100, and this is going to be a big factor for New Yorkers. I'm now going to ask a waitress and a bartender to come back to work. And they will, because I'm loyalty, they will, and they're good people, and I know they will, no problem. But they're making 1100 from the government. That money is going to run till July, till September, or something like that. So that's another, that's another thing I don't want on my conscience as well, like that I bring them back. Why not wait till September? Then I can activate the PPP loan. Then I can start paying them wages. But then I can start bringing customers in. Well, where I said earlier, where I'm selfishly saying it, I want the other bars to iron out all the cracks. I want them to have all the, the cream. Listen, I'll give you a quick one. I go, I ride, I'm in a place called Newport, Rhode Island at the moment. I arrived here last Monday week, and that was the first day that all the um, restaurants lifted, that everyone was allowed in. First day I walked in, an Irish girl owns a restaurant up there. I had to fill out a form. I had to put my name. I had to put the date. I had to put the names of everybody with me, phone number and everything. It's for, you know, to trace where it is. By the end of the week, that form had got down to just give us your name and number. They'd already got sick of it because people weren't taking it serious. Now, everyone up here is wearing these uh, dodgy masks. I have to say that they look like a dodgy hat or something like that. <laughs> but everyone wears these. You walk around like this. I can't believe in Ireland that they're not doing masks, but that's a whole other podcast. You walk into a restaurant, you wear this. You walk into a shop, you pull it up over your face. Everyone does it. And then when you sit at the table, you can take it off. You're fine. You can do all them things when you're in it. But the difference in a week here that I see now, whatever I'm here now, 10 days, things have started to relax. People are still doing the mask thing. People won't go into a shop if there's other people in it. They'll wait outside and all this. Hairdressers, they're really taking the bath, stuff like that. So, by the time it gets to New York, I hope that people have gone to all these towns because people generally, as I say, leave. They're out in Montauk, they're out in Hamptons, they're out there. I hope then by September, when people get back to New York, they'll kind of be, I don't want to say they're over it, so they're just going to walk around like lawlessness, but they'll be used to the mask. They'll be used to doing the right thing, is my hope. And then you can somewhat, because bars cannot survive on 50% occupancy. It's just not possible. Same in Ireland. They can't do it, Jamie. Did many Irish leave? Uh, you know, in the pandemic, yeah. do, do you see a lot of Irish leaving? Yeah, sad. Yeah, sadly they did. Um, again, we spoke about this the other night with somebody from one of the uh, centres, actually, and they uh, a lot of them that were illegal, Jamie, had to leave because they know they know. Actually, I should give a mention. They know social welfare and they know things, but the, I don't know if you're familiar with it. You can look it up. It's something. It's thing called the Ashley Centre here. They're uh, mainly they're based up in the Bronx. Amazing. Well, real quickly, they basically set up a thing, Slauncher Twenty. They raised over four hundred thousand dollars, and they paid that to people. It's it blew my mind. I spoke to a lady the other night on it who runs the the Ashton Center, Sandra Feely, and I mean, blew my mind. So she told us that sorry, four hundred fifty, just basically short of half a million, and that that money came in from everywhere, but generally came from Irish circles. Now I believe the Irish government donated as well. They gave a big chunk as well, so. But you're talking about people again. I, I mentioned the Spanish earlier on. That was the Irish as well. There's a lot of Irish here. What blew my mind is this thing has also highlighted how many Irish are still illegal living in America. Like she said, 80% of the people that got money from, from that were undocumented. Like that they just, and that kind of blew my mind. And she said, like, they went through that money in the early stages. They, they, they raised over a hundred thousand very quickly and she said that hundred thousand was gone equally as quick 
and you know you're qualified from a bomb you, you basically showed that you were working and it was generally people in my industry it was people in the service industry and in construction so you're your bartenders and your waitresses but to answer your question the amount of young people have gone home that i've seen and unfortunately their hand probably got forced what are they planning on going probably would have gone in probably the next two or three years you will see over the years i still didn't think about it obviously is you'll see a lot of people come over here and they realize the money they're making you've been here jimmy you see it like and i'm, I'm telling you what the dole is so i'll give you a spectrum of what a bartender or a waitress or a construction guy could make someone gets their head down and works really hard in that short period of time they don't get married and have a couple of young kids and they're from like say kilkenny or somewhere like that they're thinking they see the money and they think let's do five years and go home you know get that'll get the deposit that'll get the house half paid for might have a bit of land and I, I, i've seen lads do that for generations that's been going on now i know where their hand was forced and they're gone home it's not the end of the world listen they're going back to ireland i used to have this argument with people like we're not a third world country and anyone i met that had moved home over the years whether they're hand forced or not every one of them say i wish i'd have done it sooner i wish i'd have gone home sooner if that was your plan like that's what i mean sad part for a lot of them people is you might only be a couple of years into it you've stayed over your visa and now you're potentially looking at a 10-year ban or more you can't come back and now you're back in an ireland that we don't know we don't know what anything's going to be like in six months in any country let alone ireland but hopefully it'll bounce back but yeah i do know unfortunately i do know too many people that went home now sadly yeah it's uh definitely definitely a hard time for for everyone in america and ireland and look mm. i'll um I'll wrap it up there, Johnny. Thanks so much for taking the time out to uh, have a chat with me. Jimmy, thanks for having me. Hopefully, see you in the long haul soon, or I'll be in Dingle hopefully in August. Now that you've lifted them restrictions, I'll make it back west. <laughs> I can tell my love, the lovely, lovely people of Kerry. <laughs> Perfect. Very good. Thanks, William. I hope you all enjoyed that interview with Johnny Kindy. Uh, I think it was very, very interesting, very insightful, very honest, um, and gives you good insight into what owning a business and running a business and like in uh, one of the business cities in the world. Um, be sure to, to check it out, to check out the pub if you're over there at any stage. Uh, whether you drink or you don't drink, it, it definitely is worthwhile just going in and just having a look at it. Um, just even from a business perspective, how how it's developed and how it's laid out, very, very interesting. Um, and you can always you can always buy a bag of flavin or something like that. <laughs> um, look, that's all from us this week. Again, please do get in contact with the show if you have any stories from being part of a team, whether it's a sports team or a corporate team. Please do let us know. Everything will be kept confidential, so don't be worrying about that. Don't forget to rate, review, and tell your friends about Inside View podcast. And please do go and follow us on our social media channels to be kept up to date with what we are doing in the world of on the ball team building. You'll find us over on Instagram at underscore on the ball team building, on the ball team building on Facebook and on Twitter you'll find us at we are on the ball team building too. That is digit two. And if you want you can email us info at on the ball team building.com. Have a lovely week and be sure to tune in next week. Till then please stay safe and remember Fred on us Talk to you all soon.